The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. Our show is all about the exciting world of real estate, and in particular, how it relates to the lucrative New York market. But if you're not planning a real estate transaction in New York, we still have plenty of information that you can use no matter where you are. Now, here's your host, Vince Rocco. Good morning, everybody. It is Tuesday, March 28th. At this hour, as a real estate agent in a very demanding city, building your personal uh, brand is crucial. How do you do this, and why is it so important? We will hear from an expert. Also at this hour, dipping rents, a trend that has affected Manhattan's high-end rental market for months now, is starting to seep into other segments of the market. Analysts say this is just rent fatigue. We will get a better understanding of this today as well. I'd like to welcome my listeners in the United States and around the world. You are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate. I am your host, Vince Rocco, and if you want to call into the program this morning, the number is one 866 Four seven two five seven eight eight. That is one eight six six four seven two five seven eight eight. In the news this morning, Sotheby's International Realty is looking to claim a bigger piece of the city's lucrative new development business with plans to form a marketing division solely for new projects. Sotheby's International Realty Development Advisors will be led by Kathy Kay, a former executive at Brown Harris Stevens. Kay also previously worked as a senior vice president at the related companies. Kathy Corte, president of Sotheby's International, said the new division will be competitive because of its network of international real estate offices and its relationship with Sotheby's auction house. As the New York City real estate industry declares war on listings aggregator Street Easy, Brokerage Unicorn Compass is unveiling a new consumer-facing feature that gives apartment hunters an alternative to the popular listings website. In effect, Compass wants to build the Pinterest of real estate in its new feature known as Collections. It allows consumers to create their own version of the Pinterest pin board for properties they're interested in. This according to Leonard Steinberg, president of the firm. Homebuyers and their agents can organize the properties they're eyeing in one place and discuss them via a commenting tool. They can also share availability and pricing changes on the board and invite friends and family to weigh in on apartments by posting their opinions on each listing. The city's luxury residential market in 2017 still looks to be in pretty decent shape with 30 contracts signed in the infamous $4 million price point and over. The total sales volume for the week was $201 million, according to the weekly report uh, furnished by Olshan Realty. Out of the 37 contracts signed, 23 were for condominiums with an average asking price of $6.6 million. Six contracts were on co-ops for $7 million, and one contract was signed for a townhouse asking $9.5 million. The average discount from original ask to last ask price was 7%. And after trying to sell their Tribeca penthouse for the last year, uncoupled Gwyneth Paltrow and Chris Martin sold their three-bedroom pad at 416 Washington Street. The 3,800-square-foot condo was most recently asking $9.95 million or $2,568 per square foot, and it went into contract last week. Paltrow and Coldplay frontman who divorced in 2014 originally listed the apartment for $14.25 million last March. 
but lowered the price to $12.85 million a month later. They pulled the penthouse off the market in November, but put it back on for $9.95 million in February. They paid $5,146,000 for it in 2007. Anyway, good morning, everybody. Morning. Morning. We have with us the panel Matt Cohen from Matthew Cohen from Core Real Estate, Phil Horrigan from Leasebreak.com, and special guest today, Joanne Tumbrancus, who is the founder and chief storyteller of One Woman's Eye Consulting and Training. She's had this company since 2008. We're going to talk to her in a bit. But Joanne is a storyteller. I love that title. She's a storyteller, a business development and digital marketing consultant, personal brand advisor, and coach, and NYU adjunct, considered an SME in contact marketing, social media, and personal branding. Joanne's consulting services include personal brand advertisement and coaching, digital business development and strategy planning, content strategy and creation, and social media strategy and management. Wow, is that a mouthful? Oh, you, yeah, well, I get that. She also yeah. offers training in all of the above areas and invite invitations to speak on any of the said topics. Her signature product, Your Digital You, an introductory course in personal branding, is offered online and on demand in small workshops and may also be customized to bring in-house for your group or organization or company. Uh, above all, she is a writer, the author of two books, and publisher of a weekly newsletter, One Woman's Eye, a curation of tips, tools, and inspiration to help you thrive. I read it every week. It's a wonderful well, thank little you. tool. Thank you. So anyway, we're talking about, we want to talk about branding today. And, you know, as a real estate industry, you know, everybody needs to have their own personal brand. Everybody has to have a differentiator to get themselves out there into the marketplace and hopefully turn that into success. You know, you have written so many articles and I wanted to start with the one one that really caught my eye, how to build your personal brand, but digitally first. So let's get into that. You know, back in the, I like how you started this, back in the dark ages <laughs> when I graduated from college and I'm still there with you, okay? Uh, in order to get a job, you it's went true. armed with a resume in your hand. It was all paper. You went with a resume in your hand, a good GPA, a copy of the Help Wanted ad that you saw somewhere in a magazine or in a newspaper, and you showed up at the person's office and interviewed. Today, obviously, it's completely different, right? So the digital age, as you say, has created a new dimension for personal branding. Explain that. Well, it t- because you now have you now have two versions of your brand. You know, you've got your online version and your offline version. And the key is is that they need to be the same. And this everything, you know, when I, when I teach, I tell my students because I teach marketing, everything that they're learning that they would do for a brand, whether it was core real estate or a, a service that you have, that you have the ability now to apply those same tools to yourself. Because that's what's going to happen. It doesn't matter how wonderful my my recommendation if i recommend vince rocco is oh he's this fantastic real estate agent no matter how much someone values that there's still the next thing they're going to do is they're going to go search for vince rocco online it doesn't matter how much they value my opinion that's helping but it's still how you're showing up and then how do you do that so that both of you are the same person you know <laughs> that's that's what happens often is that you wind up people wind up doing it and making it two different people so it's but by doing it digitally first, you're allowing yourself to get really clear on who you are. And that's why I think it's a good starting point. So when you say the best self is now available 24 by, uh, by 7 for others to pursue online, you're saying basically that your online presence can be seen by anybody any time of the day. You know, oftentimes when I think about that, and I and I also tell, you know, the some of the younger folk who have not gone out to the workforce yet, your profiles on all of these social media platforms are really important because – 
employers will start looking and start checking. And what they don't really realize is some of the nonsense and the garbage that they put out there is not flattering and is not going to necessarily help you get a job. Oh, no, without a doubt. You're absolutely right. I mean, there are tools that can pull up all of your social media happenings, actions, everything that you're doing on there. So it's, you know, years ago, um, back before we had all this internet stuff, a friend of mine used to say, if you don't want people to talk about it or know about it, then don't do it. And I think that really is holds true now more than ever in an online world because there is no real delete button on the on the internet. You know, once you put something out there, it's out there. And even if you delete a tweet, somebody got a screenshot of it and you're creating some sort of a perception. So you need to think about it. That's, that's something that seems to be missing lately is that we, in this rush to be in real time, we forget that, well, let me just take a pause here and think about what I'm going to do. Because we're all, we're all so rushing to be that person who doesn't miss anything in this. When you say the choice is to tell your story first before Google gets <laughs> to tell it, what do you mean by that? I think I know. I think I understand what you're saying there. But but explain to our listeners well, if, what if, you actually mean by that. Well, because Google's going to serve up what the most relevant search results are. Right? You're going to type something in, and Google's become so sophisticated that you can literally type in a question now. You know, where is the? You know, who are the real estate agents that are near me that are living within my geography? It's just. It's so much more sophisticated than mm-hmm. it used to be. So Google's going to serve that up to the top. And you do have some control over what they're going to be serving based on what you're putting into the system. So if you want to be an influencer, then you're going to write, create more good content. And hopefully that content's going to come up first. If, you're, if you have your own website, your name's going to come up. You're, you're with Core. So Core, I'm going to assume, I don't know, but I assume that they have a pretty good search engine of their own. So if someone types in Vince Rocco Core, then that's hopefully the first thing that's going to come up. Correct. So you've got a little bit of an advantage there when, you're, when you've got, you're working with a company like that. But if you're on your own, you've got your own website, or you're doing your, you, you have a control over what's going to come in. You also say that resumes um, resumes still matter, but they're not going to get you the job. So mm-hmm. again, you know, you and I come from the same era. So again, and I, I kind of related to that that first quote that you said in the dark era or the dark ages, whatever. You know, you you had your piece of paper resume, and every time mm-hmm. you needed to update it, you had to go onto the you know computer and update it, whatever. So are you saying that you know people are still looking at your resume to see certain things, but yet they're also going to be looking online to social media stuff? But the resume itself is not going to get you the job. I don't think a resume ever. I, I'm, a resume never got me a job, and I had some pretty good jobs. I agree. With, I agree <laughs> um, with that. You know, to me, and you have to have a resume. You need it because if, at some point, especially if you're going to go work for another company, you're someone's going to look at that, and someone in HR is going to need that to put your paperwork through. But how do you actually get read? You know what's going to make that resume pop up, and if anyone's ever applied to anything recently, you apply to these online portals, and sometimes that resume that you spent all this time and all this money formatting doesn't even look the same, because it's now being it's now being, you know, rearranged based on how that particular company is there. So how do you how how do you, it's all about discovery? You know how do you get found? LinkedIn to me is I, I think. You know, when people tell me they spent a thousand dollars to have their resume rewritten, I'm like ready to fall off my chair. It's like really, you can give me a thousand dollars, and I'll help you with LinkedIn, and you'll you'll be much you're much better off focusing, having more focus on how you're showing up on LinkedIn, which is a huge tool. I I mean, it's the the brand is so strong. It's even though I don't think the website their site is always the most user friendly. It's it's, not. It's it's not user friendly at all, but it's a very strong brand. And I have to tell you something. It sort of has taken over for the job searching sites that used to be out there, the monster monster dot coms, etc. 
Uh, and it's also a very good resume for yourself. Mm-hmm. So um, if you keep that updated, which I always do, you know, if people, you know, I get solicited sometimes from LinkedIn. People just email mm-hmm. me saying, hey, I, I see you're working at Core. I see you're doing whatever. You know, I have this job opportunity unrelated to real estate most of the time. And uh, would you be interested? And I'm like, well, thank you very much. But no. Uh, you know, I'm not in that industry any longer, but they look at your resume on LinkedIn. We have a couple of minutes before we go to break and then we'll pick up after the break, but let's talk a little bit about what is, what is really, why is it important to have a personal brand in, in our industry here as real estate, but in any, in any industry, what, what does your personal brand do for you as a differentiator out there in the marketplace? Well, here's, here's the, the little secret. The personal brand thing is not new. You always had a personal brand <laughs> and that, but now we've we've now we put this this title around it. You know, it's really a, a culmination of everything you've done, where you've been, where you went to school, who you know, all these things that we used to call building your reputation. So it's really it's really nothing. It's not new in that respect. But because of this digital presence that we have, it becomes more important to think about what you're doing and how you want to be perceived, because you're leaving this trail of breadcrumbs. You know, if in the in the olden days, it's not that long ago. But if you went to a cocktail party, you said something stupid, it was like, okay, you know, maybe a few people overheard you, and maybe that was the end of it. But today, you say something stupid online, and you don't even know what could happen, how how it could take on a life of its own. And it so does. It, it just requires a little bit mm-hmm. more thinking. And I also think it, you know, the part of personal branding, and if you're going to get into this part, that is the hardest for people is it requires some soul searching. You know, who am I really? And if I present myself properly, I'm going to hopefully attract the kind of clients and the kind of jobs that I want because I'm putting who I really am out there and I'm not just getting the low-hanging fruit, so to speak. Yeah, no, I want to get more into that uh, after the break. But I think what people don't um, really understand is how important it is to have yourself out there marketed and branded. And I know at CORE, where Matt and I work, um, we're very brand-focused Uh, and it makes a difference. We're going to go to break. Uh, We have to leave it there for a minute. We'll be back after these commercial messages. This is Good Morning New York on the Voice America Variety Channel. Don't go away. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. As a real estate agent, my clients entrust me with a lot. I recently helped a couple move from London to New York and make a purchase sight unseen based solely on my guidance. Impressed by my commitment and trusting my judgment, they wired the down payment and let my team manage the renovation. To create a warm welcome, we fully stocked their apartment and when they walked in, they absolutely loved it. They said I provided the human touch that made a listing their home. We've worked together ever since and they are kind enough to count me as a friend. I'm Arthur Corant with CORE and this is what I do. American Heroes Network is a program for and about our American veteran heroes and their families. Join host Gary Ray as he shows what is being done to help our veterans and showcase the companies and organizations that are helping our veterans and their families rebuild their lives. Listen for American Heroes Network, live and powered by the Voice America Variety Channel, every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Good Morning New York, Real Estate with Vince Rocco. 
If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. Everybody, we are back. By the way, if you want to see any of the blogs that we're referencing today from Joanne or her articles, you can go to www.joannetombrakos.com, J-O-A-N-N-E-T-O-M-B-R-A-K-O-S.com, or email me, and I will get you the information. Matt, you wanted to say something about resumes. No, I just want to say I think there's no better um, example of the fact that resumes are kind of obsolete than the fact that on LinkedIn, I mean, 80% of the jobs that you can apply to they don't even ask you to upload your resume. They just use your profile on LinkedIn. Exactly. So, I mean, that it, it's a little frightening, actually, in in my opinion. But also, just to give, like, to get, I'm, I'm, a, we always talk about how I'm a millennial, and um, to to have millennials backs, which I don't normally because I usually speak badly about them. Um, it, you know, millennials have learned, and and they learned back when I was going to college as well that when they were applying to college and they were applying to jobs, they changed their names on social media. You know, they they made their last name to their middle name so that they people couldn't find them. So I mean, there is you know, there's some learning I guess out there to what is happening, but it's happening in a huge way. Yeah, just to support Joanne. (laughs) I I I, I sort of um, I had a question sort of for you, Joanne. Joanne, if it's okay. So you know how you talked. You know how you talked about how. You, you know, when you go to Google, things come up mm-hmm. and you sort of need to be a little bit more cognizant of mm-hmm. that so you can mm-hmm. be in control before Google basically creates a brand for mm-hmm. you, right? One thing that I've noticed, and I guess I underestimated, and I'm curious what you think of this, is how much effort is involved in, in doing that. So in other words, like with maybe lease break and even as an agent, I started to play with some of that mm-hmm. and I realized man, it's not coming up, you know, in Google Mm -hmm. or whatever. So I realized in order to do this, I have to do it every day consistently for a very long period of time in order to really break through all the clutter on the internet. Otherwise, the choice maybe is to just not get involved. And that's kind of what I'm curious as to what, you know, is it all or nothing, you know? No, well, um, you don't want to not get involved because someone not being able to find you is as dangerous as people finding stuff that maybe not be so great about you. I mean, no one's going to like everything that you do. But it's different. In the case of a personal brand, I wouldn't suggest this, but in the case of what you're doing, because you've got your personal brand and you've got a company, you know, you've got, you've also got this thing called SEO, Mm-hmm. So, which takes a lot of time, but you know, you get you can get someone to help you to make sure that your website is being optimized, not just on the. I was just talking about this last night in class, not just on the um, on the front end, but on the back end. Yeah, the back end is something that I don't personally get myself involved in because it's all that technical stuff. But make sure that you're doing that there, and then the front end becomes the content. You know, how is how are you optimizing your content? But again, that's most people who are doing personal brands, unless they really want to be an influencer, are not going to pay attention to that part. Right. It's not necessary to get right. that deep into it. For you, right. yes, it's necessary. Right, right. And then there's also the paid advertising part, which we can get off on, is that by paying to for the keywords that you want to be found to boost for, your words, yeah. Then you're going, you know, and and Google's, you know, Google's the paid search works really well. Yeah. 
It yeah. works really well. It's yeah. complicated. It's not as easy as running a sponsor post on a Facebook ad, which right. is something that you would also right. want to do because, right. again, you're just not a person. You're also got a right. company. <laughs> and now they've broken it down so much that it really depends on the age range you're focusing on because mm-hmm. I know that, you know, people are less and less paying for advertisements on Google and they're, you know, if they're focusing on an, not the older generation, I, I really am reluctant to use that, that phrase. But, you know, if you're looking for like over 40, for example, people are posting advertisements on Facebook because that's the biggest user of Facebook, for example. Whereas if they're looking for a younger millennial or whatever is below me generation, they're posting on Instagram now. You can have ads in between all the right. different posts. So but, it's very, it's amazing mm-hmm. how they've broken it down. But um, there's a, people, in, and I agree with you to a degree that your younger people are going more to an Instagram and even to a Snapchat. However, if you actually look at the data from Facebook, there's no way around it. The, the reach is huge. I happen to hate uh, the Facebook, network. Facebook, in my opinion, so is, it's, is, it's is still the young, best. There are still young people there. Millennials are still there, even though the perception is that they've all gone away. Listen, I'm, I'm sure you can all agree. <laughs> in terms of the data, if we right. want to believe the data. Well, and that's because it's on a global scale. Facebook is the biggest. Huge, and like huge. the you, But just, you know, the younger generation in the U.S. is very into Snapchat and Instagram. Oh, as absolutely. Opposed to the, but, rest the, the older world. generation but, but, is into Instagram yeah. because it's a happy place <laughs> right now. My mom loves it. Yeah. Instagram is a happy place. Some well, that's what I was going to say. If, if you want to look for information or, or informative, I, I have to admit, you know, I get most, if not, all of my my news information daily from Facebook. Mm-hmm. It's the first thing I look at in the morning, the last thing I look at at night when I go to bed. Any New York Times article, any article, whatever, mm-hmm. is on Facebook. Fake news? I, I agree. Fake news. And, and, on the, and on the right side of Facebook, they now have like trending news. And that's that's what you're probably talking about. That's, mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. So now Instagram, and I'm not putting Instagram down, but that that's kind of a happy side. It's a fun that's side. Yeah. It, it's a picture dictionary. I mean, I'm not getting any you know educational or informational anything from Instagram. Well, as Joanne I'm checking, said. I'm checking but, to but see you, what my friends are doing basically get, on a holiday mm-hmm. or, or in a restaurant somewhere, but I'm not getting factual, you know, news stories mm-hmm. or information from Instagram or Snapchat to me is completely ridiculous. But in terms of building a brand, the engagement on Instagram is much higher. And if you run it, now yes. I've done this, running, yes. I get more engagement by running an ad on Instagram than I do on as, Facebook. As do I. And as just, do if I. you think about it, it kind of makes sense. You've got a feed that you're only seeing one picture at a time. You're as not do distracted. I. And, yeah, to, no. and to your point, Joanne, um, this is the perfect example of you were saying you now have two different brands. You have two different personalities. Mm-hmm. You have your personality that you put out there in social media, and then you have yourself in real life. There's no better truth to that than on Instagram because it could look like someone – is you know amazing, wealthy, super successful, and maybe they're in debt in real life, and they're just not happy and whatnot. There's no Very better example of that. But the, exactly. can, can I just throw one more yeah. thing in there? But also, you also because of the social networks in terms of your branding, you have the opportunity to show different parts of you on different networks. So if I go to LinkedIn, it's one of the few places where I don't get political whatsoever. Instagram either. Right. I keep. I really keep it out of it because it's really business, and there I don't is really no politics on Instagram. Basically, I mean, it's it's. No, you see a little bit on Instagram, a little a bit little. on LinkedIn, but then you go to my Twitter feed or my Facebook feed, and you're going to see. Oh, my Twitter feed is on fire. Yeah. It's it's not as you know. I it's a, it's a different it's a different side, and you have that, but you need to know that all of that is making up who your personal brand is. Right. Well, you know that 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 <laughs> I'd love to get into all that politics stuff and. Our current, you know, administration, but I'm going to leave that at that at the moment. Let's go on. <laughs> Eight things you're keeping your uh, your digital eye on for 2017. Okay. It's interesting because you, you touched on this before. The only thing we can really predict, especially when it comes to marketing in a digital age, is that change will happen and it will happen 
faster than any of us think. Mm -hmm. So as you said before, Joanne, you put something out there and it's going to go steamrolling Mm -hmm. out there and it's going to stay out there for good or for bad. So, you know, content, really, really good content. Mm -hmm. Tell us about that. What is that? I mean, why is that important? Content is at the core of this whole of anything that's considered digital marketing, and even you go back to S- to search. Content is part of search now. In the beginning, it wasn't content. SEO was all about stuffing keywords and figuring out how Google's alg- algorithms work, and it's still a big part of it. But now it's also about content. So, what am I going to do to engage you and build my my core on it to keep you coming towards me? Because millennials are really turned off and actually I'm not a millennial and I'm turned off and I used to sell ads but we don't want to be pushed into things so how do I draw people towards me and if you depending on how big you want your personal brand to get the more content for me I write all the time because I want to be seen as an influencer and expert in what I do so I try and provide good content that keeps people coming back and then hopefully want to spend money with me at some point so it becomes it becomes that becomes does that answer your question? Yes, and this, the other one I wanted to mention is tr- you say truth tellers, and I know especially <laughs> in New York real estate, mm-hmm. I mean the the line between fact and fiction, you know, can get blurred. And we mm-hmm. have you know the current political situation in Washington these days. You know, when you you look at Twitter, you look at Facebook. I mean, there's a lot of gray area on what is true, what is not true. Obviously, why is this so important? I mean, well, I think you know, I mean, I. Maybe I'm just idealistic. I do believe that in the end, the truth all, always does come out. You know, it's we've kind of we kind of not to get political, but we kind of saw that last week a little bit. But you, because you, you can, mean with you Rachel can, Maddow and the tax returns? <laughs> well, you, know, you, you, you can you can see so much. You can you can lie so much. Or there's a difference between lying and spinning. Right. You know, I've been in marketing and, and advertising most of Some my, my, my whole life, um, and there's a difference between spinning that and actually outright lying. But I do think that, <coughs> excuse me, because we've seen so many so many untruths right now, that there's a real need for that. I excuse me, I'm going to start coughing. But there's um, I lost my train of thought on this. <laughs> Let me just take a sip of water. <laughs> take a sip of water. But I, I think, I think right. that you were saying the the, the <laughs> difference between truth um, or lying rather and spinning. <laughs> I think people sometimes do both. You know, when I'm posting something on Facebook, say it's a real estate ad I want to post on Facebook, there's a little bit, it's, it's truthful because, you know, it's it's my company's brand, it's my, my listing, whatever. But you put a little bit of a spin on it anyway, and I think we do that because we want to capture as much attention as possible. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's in our content, maybe that's in a cute little phrase, maybe it's in a lot of things. But I think there's always spin out there, but I like to think that if spin is truthful, then it's okay. But in some cer- circumstances, it is not truthful, and mm-hmm. it's just... An outright lie. I think there's also a difference these days between truth and real. I, I like to, and and I guess you know to place emphasis, emphasis on that myself is that I like to be real with my posts. I don't have Twitter. I'm like the only millennial that doesn't. But I really love Instagram and have learned to love it and use it in my mm-hmm. work. And you know when I'm telling stories, this comes from you know a nerd like me who I'm very into real estate and every aspect of it. And you know I try and dial down my passion about it a little bit when it comes to my posts and actually talk about the real story instead of the truth because the truth could get really ugly (laughs) if you really go into it but you can also tell a story and be real with you know making it appealing to everyone but you're also a very good poster your poster your posts are no but (laughs) i'm not good at it but they're concise and they're well i can't pick those (laughs) Those filters but yours are very uh, you know on message 
on brand, on point. Mm-hmm. You, I always know exactly what you're trying to get across when you post something out there, whether it's a personal post or, or a real estate post. And I think that I really is what the difference is. No, he, Ooh, he does I just really gain well. one more follow. But I think, <laughs> but I think that's what really makes the difference. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to ask you about, you know, the one last thing on the on this particular topic. You know, you say human intervention. <laughs> what, what 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 is that about? I mean, obviously, we well, know we can't get so caught up in all of the data and all of the digital stuff that we forget that at the end of the day, this is what we want to do. We want to be in front of other human beings because that's how we're hardwired to be. But you're seeing that LinkedIn started something. Um, they just launched it this week and it's just starting to roll out. And it's called Trending Storylines. Uh-huh. And what they're trying to do, they developed an algorithm that will take a news story that an, a human being found as the leading news story. And hopefully it's going to be business oriented because it's going to be on LinkedIn. And then with this algorithm, they're going to present both sides of the story. What an interesting, What an interesting new thing. But again, they're taking, they're combining the algorithm with a human editor. So they're not just relying on the algorithm, which is what got us into trouble with all of this fake news, is that you were just relying on algorithms. So you see, even in a case like that, where human beings are still important, I, this, this is a huge turn. I mean, when someone says, let's do something in person, it's so exciting because <laughs> we can get so caught up behind all of this. And I don't know how, I, I really don't see how that's ever going to change because we. this is how we're wired as human beings to want to be. We want to say, hey, there's a person next to me. Look, right. I can, I, you know, it's, <laughs> it's not just this digital face. All right, we have to leave right there and take a break. You're listening to Good Morning New York on the Voice America Variety Channel. Don't go away. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. The Voice America interactive radio player, powered by Aircast, gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand. No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry, powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Aliens with Gas is the program you're listening to. We are the Extraterrestrial Rock Show, airing every Saturday afternoon on the VoiceAmerica.com Variety Channel. And we're going to play the rest of the Uli John Roth interview on our overtime. And I dig that because you're doing the, the Brady Bunch thing, aren't you? I am. Because <laughs> I have a, a theremin app right. on my phone. So it's not, you know, a real theremin. If anybody knows the Brady Bunch, what I'm talking about. UFO! It's back! <laughs> Thank you, and keep watching the skies. That's every Saturday at 2 p.m. Pacific time right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. 
All right, everybody, we are back with Joanne Tambrakis, uh, Matthew Cohen from CORE, and Phil Horrigan from LeaseBreak.com. One more um, area I want to cover with you, Joanne, and coming from one of your blogs also, how to stay positive when the world seems so scary. I really enjoyed this, this, this article because, you know, the world that we are living in today, you know, represents so many different things. But you say, I admit I'm challenged these days, waking up to headlines about the proposed, you know, defunding of PBS, Meals on Wheels, blah, 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 all the political stuff. Uh, repealing instead of improving upon the existing Affordable Care Act, etc. You know, you know at your core that positivity is what most is is what it's most necessary to get to the other side of all of these bad things. So, or these the these things that are happening that we don't agree with, not necessarily bad things. What do you do on a daily basis to keep the positivity in your sphere? based on whatever you may be reading in the news, hearing in the news, or, or just listening to other people you know, go on about. How do you keep that center positive? Well, it takes a lot of work. There's no two ways about it. In fact, this morning before, when I got up, instead of starting to read my articles that I knew you were going to ask me about, I went online by mistake and you know started reading about how he wants to sign off on the get rid of the EPA today. So I felt myself starting to get like crazy. And I thought, no, you got to just calm down. I I believe in a lot of spirituality, so I do a lot of meditation. Um, What's tapping? You said you tap, but I didn't necessarily understand what tapping meant. Tapping is, is um, it's a kind of a, it's a, almost a form of meditation, but it actually opens the meridians. It's, it's, uh, EFT is, is the shortened term for it. There's a guy named Nick Ordner that you can look up. He's very popular online. He can kind of explain more of that, but it helps you to open up your energy centers too. So in the thing I like about EFT is it allows you to actually speak. So you can, you can verbalize and I'm clearly a very verbal person. <laughs> the meditation is much harder for me because I have to, I have to kind dial of it down. dial it down and keep it. But you know, the thing that's so great, this one app that I really love, I think I put it in that article, but it's um, called Meditation Studio where some of these, these, it's, some of these meditations are as, as short as five minutes. So you can just put your headphones on and you can be almost any place. And Another just, one I think is called Headspace. Headspace. Headspace, Headspace takes yes. a little bit longer and it seems to be more popular. This one was app, the App Store actually called it the, one of the top 10 apps. It was funny because I recommended it in class one day and one of my students who's from LA and found her spirituality in New York. You go figure how that worked out. But she says, I downloaded that. It's such a great app. I like it so much better than Headspace. But you know, an exercise and, and taking care of yourself and remembering, you know, that we will get to the other side of this. It's just a really, really tough time. But it takes a lot of work. I am one of the more positive people that I know. I'm the person people call when, you know, they get fired to say, congratulations, Same this here. is what's next for you. Big you know, that's, shoulders, as it's called. But, right? um, but this is a really challenging time, and self-care becomes important. And those are just some of the things that, that, that I do. Exercise, and I, I try and eat right, and, and I, you know, I still have my wine because I have to have my wine. But I try not to have a whole bottle at a time. No, that's, <laughs> <laughs> that's what the key Depends that's, on the day. Well, that's not going to help. That's not going to help with the, with no. the positive. Yeah, and, 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 doing, and doing things instead of just complaining about it, you know. Um, in terms of right now, I don't, I don't want to get too political, but there are things that you can do. You can call a congressman. You can call a senator. It's so much better than just complaining and spewing there, online there about how awful everything feel is. better and more positive, and if that means venting, that mm-hmm. means venting. All right, Joanne Tambrakis, founder and chief storyteller, one woman's eye consulting and training. Look her up on the Internet. She's worth reading. 
Thank you. You're going to stay with us, right? Okay, let's let's move on and talk about rents. Dipping rents, a trend that has affected Manhattan's high-end rental market for months now, is starting to seep into other segments of the market. The median rent for every home-sized category in Manhattan declined in February, according to the monthly uh, rental report out of Douglas Elliman. It's the first time in almost five years that declines have been widespread throughout the borough. Analysts say this is just rent fatigue. The general trend is coming from record high. <clears throat> record high rents to something that's more in sync with what consumers can afford. What are your thoughts on that, Mr. Leasebreak.com, um, Phil Horrigan? Okay. So first of all, we've been talking about this for, what, six months now on the program. So it's definitely not new, and it definitely has been seeping into the lower end for a while now. I love when I hear rent fatigue because that is such a ridiculous word that really means that people don't know what's happening, so they just call it fatigue. Because if you really think about it, could you imagine a renter being like, you know, I really want an apartment, but I'm just fatigued. I'm just not going to get an apartment. Or, you know, it, it, I really want to make sense. I really want to buy an apartment. You know what? I'm just, I'm just fatigued. So to me, it's ridiculous. What's really going on is there is a lot of apartments out there, and when the inventory is high and the demand is not as high, and people are now able to go to the boroughs because parts of Queens are really cool, parts of Brooklyn are really cool. And they're, so when, when a renter first comes to me as an agent, when I'm working as an agent, what do they usually do? They start really low in their price and then they realize, oh, I can't get this. So what do they do? They come up. I think brokers always quote that people usually start 10 to 15% below the budget they eventually pay for an apartment. In this market, they don't have to go up. So they never quite go up to that other level. They realize, oh, there's actually a lot of apartments in this price range that I'm initially starting in. And in fact, maybe I could even go lower than I had originally thought. So the apartments that are sitting out there, it's because landlords and brokers are pricing them too high. The market just is not meeting where those apartments are. That it's just a simple fact. But let so. me but let me ask you something, and, and, and Matt can chime in on the sales side as well, because you know, I'm still seeing this, and I was explaining this to a buyer of mine the other day. You know, I, I'm still seeing that landlords are pricing still pricing high, sellers are still pricing high. We haven't yet, I guess, successfully transitioned to the buyer's market mentality or the renter's market mentality. Why are we still in this quagmire of gray space where owners, landlords, and sellers just aren't getting it? What, you know, And that, that's what's causing inventory to lag right. behind and not move. I think it's because there have been periods over the last few years, even going longer back, where there is a little bit of a pause and then things increase or, or demand increases. And so I think some people are saying, I'm not going to drop my price just yet. For example, the landlords are saying, well, it was just the winter time. So now we're heading into spring. So they kind of use it as an excuse. Like, I'm sure things will pick up. Things are picking up a little bit, I will say. The volume is definitely but there. But in the meantime, time on market means loss of money. Exactly. Yeah. On both sides, okay. sales and rentals, right? Yeah. So you got to get with the program, I think, sooner rather than mm-hmm. later. Mm-hmm. Well, I think regarding anything in, in life or in this world, um, whenever you're in a, some sort of limbo, it's really hard to you know, either, you know, conceptualize something or perceive something the way it should be. And I think it's going to take a big event for everyone to come together or for one of them to loosen up a little bit. Um, and, and I say that because <laughs> if you think about it, you know, everything was on hold for, you know, two to three months before the election. No one was really doing anything because everyone was waiting for that. So then then Trump got elected and, you know, then things started to move. And now we're in a space again. I feel that things are getting more into limbo again because people are waiting to see 
which policies of Trump's are going to be enforced, which are going to be approved, which what is going to happen with the market. And and so I think that people are what landlords and tenants are not meeting about in the rental market is that I think a lot of tenants are actually not moving. I think a lot of people don't want to move and want to stay and wait this all out. I agree. And a really good example was one of my clients yesterday, um, like I sold his apartment a year ago and, and him and his new wife, um, you know, decided to rent for a year, which is now turning into two years. And they were in the Gary building downtown. And they were telling me about how when they were renewing this, their same apartment floors up was getting a lot less. And so they said to the landlord, you know, it's only fair if you let us at least match that, if not come down a little bit. And the landlord wouldn't do it. So they moved. They were like, we're not going to have that. And they moved to 75 Wall, which is a brand new development. And there's obviously a ton of inventory for rent because of all the investors. And they negotiated a really good deal, like good on them and smart. But I don't understand. You know, one landlords. of the things I've always said, and maybe it's my naivete, uh, being a business person for many years and a real estate professional for 15 years, you know, I've always functioned under the premise, and I did it personally. If you need to buy something, just buy it. If you need to rent something, just rent it. You know, this sitting it out, waiting it out, seeing if the policy is going to make it or the policy is not going to make it. Oh, I don't want him as president. Oh, I don't want that one as president. I mean, why should that really affect the the real estate industry uh as a whole, because just like everything else, there are necessities. Yes, if you have a place that you don't need to sell or move, that's fine. But there are people who transfer in and out. There are people who come in and out of the city. People trade up because they have to, trade down because they have to. These are the things I think that we should just be continuing to to do, but yet everything still seems to be at a standstill. And I'm trying to understand, I guess, from my own perspective, what this market is is really trying to say. But what you're forgetting is that while you're always going to have situational reasons, like you, your family's saying bigger, you had more children, you, you know, you just got married, reasons for more space, reasons, you know, you lost your job, you need to downsize. Those are all situational reasons. But what you're forgetting is that in New York City, you have the most strategic intellectual people in the world. Mm-hmm. And people are always going to factor strategy into play and money into play and finance into play here, sometimes even more than their situation. So that's the issue in this city. And the other thing I'll add to that um, is that it kind of gets back to what I was saying before. When someone is looking for an apartment, like more, let me step back. When we're pricing out an apartment for a landlord, we'll say, okay, you're looking, you have a two bedroom in the financial district. Let's see what else is competing with it. And maybe Three years ago, we'd look online and there might be four things in that price range. Now we look and we see there's 60 or 70 things in that price range. So that's what a renter is seeing too. So in order to get that apartment rented, you have to get ahead of the market. You have to come down. And so it's really, to me, I've always believed in in economics. I think that's the main driver here. There's inventory that is priced too high. And that's why these apartments are sitting because there are apartments that are getting rented. People are still moving. It's not like... You said standstill, but it's not like people aren't, I mean, the volume on our site, I know we're a newer company, but still the volume on our site is the highest it's ever been. It's March now. I mean, people are definitely looking for apartments and moving, but they're able to find something at a much lower price. And those are the ones that are getting rented. Now, when you say at a much lower price, is that because the landlords are coming down in price in those cases or concessions or they just, some, some uh, listings are just priced right? No, some listings are just priced right. So the landlords that don't quote unquote get it, those apartments are sitting sitting and sitting. And the landlords that do get it and are pricing right, those renters 
are renting the apartment. Whenever a renter goes out, I mean, I always say when I'm a, when I'm re- rep, uh, when I'm looking to price an apartment for sale or for rent, I always think, what would the educated buyer or renter be thinking right now? Because those are the ones that usually rent or buy. They've been looking for a couple of months in the case of sales or a couple of weeks in the case of rentals, and so they're educated about the market. Those are the people that rent. Yes, once in a while, someone out of the blue will have to rent something in half a day, and then maybe they will overpay. But generally speaking, as Matt said, people are pretty strategic here. They don't want to overpay, so they're going to wait a few weeks in a case of rentals, a few months in the case of sales, and that educated buyer or, or renter, that's who you want to price for. Last last uh, question on this before we go to break in 30 seconds. What is the what is the new hot rental market period? Is it <clears throat> spring, summer, fall? Have we changed that at all? So it's no, I don't think it's changed. It's still right now is where things are starting to heat up. I mean, you could feel it right now. Yeah, you could okay. right now is where it's, it's the beginning of spring. And then it usually goes it gets hotter, 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 hotter. When I say hotter meaning better for landlords, worse for renters, usually through the summer. Sometimes August is the worst month. You can't find anything because all the inventory is all sopped up, you know? <clears throat> all right. We have to take it. We'll leave it there. We're going to break. We'll be back right after these messages. Don't go away. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. The Voice America Live Events page is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480 294 6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. I've been a real estate broker for 14 years and I really believe that success in any business happens one happy customer at a time. A client once told me, Maggie, you're going to be my broker for life. And I really take a lot of pride in that. When you exceed a customer's expectations, you know you've done a great job for them. You've gone above and beyond. They're going to give you repeat business. They're going to refer you to their family and friends. It means that they really, really trust you. I'm Maggie Kent with CORE, and this is what I do. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York, Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody. We are back with Matthew Cohen from Core Real Estate, Phil Horrigan from LeaseBreak.com, and Joanne Tambrakis is staying with us as well. All right. I want to talk about China for a little bit. Uh, I was reading The Real Deal this morning as I was preparing for the show, and China is cracking down on foreign investments. The death of the all-cash Chinese buyer is about to happen. So what does this mean for New York City banks, and what does this mean, or how will it affect the overall New York City marketplace? I mean, 
thoughts on that, guys? Because it could be significant from an investor perspective here in the city. Well, this is part of what we were speaking about for the show, which is there are going to be a lot of global regulations coming into play because even though it's not spoken about on the news very much, you know, some of Trump's policies that are actually being enforced are affecting the equity market. And in the last two weeks, there have been major, um, you know, layoffs at banks like Goldman Sachs and, you know, Bank of China and JP Morgan and, and Barclays. And this is because, you know, what used to, and there's, what people don't understand is that the stock market is made up of so many different sectors. And one of those sectors has to do with trade. Every market has global trade. And in an equity trade, what used to need about 50 people in it now only needs 10 because the, just the, the restrictions that are being enforced are tightening things so much. So I think that that mixed with what's going on in China is going to greatly affect the high end of our market. Because I do think that, you know, what is everyone, every broker, everyone in the real estate world in New York has a different, you know, I guess idea of what, what makes high end. You know, I personally think anything that's, you know, over $2 million should be considered high end in the city. So, you know, but some people think it's only over $4 million. So if, if we put it in that way, in that, you know, way of thinking, anything under $4 million, there's a lot of American buyers, you know, still interest rates are low. You know, they're still at all time lows and you still have a lot of continental buyers who are buying for, as you said before, situational reasons. Oh. But I think what's really going to be hurt <clears throat> by all of these, you know, in enforcements and regulations on trade and in other countries is the high end. All right, moving on. It's, it, it is a, a great time to own real estate in New York City and be in a position to sell it. With the stock market at record highs and a strong job, mar- job market, there are many new apartments entering the market as well as buyers looking to upsize or downsize, as I mentioned earlier. As a seller, where does that leave you? If you are selling your New York City apartment and it is priced competitively, you will be in a position to field numerous offers. But what are the best offers and why? So for example, you know, uh, we, we talk about all cash buyers, we talk about financing uh, being waived, we talk about mortgage contingencies, financing with more than 20% down, financing with only 20% down, or financing in some cases with less than 20% down. There are new condo developments, believe it or not, that are still uh, able to do a 90-10 finance. So when we're looking at multiple offers, okay, and, and you know, this is not necessarily happening in this current marketplace, but when we're looking at multiple offers uh, on the selling side, what are the best offers and why? Um, I'm going to start with that. I'm just going to say it really depends. So it really depends on what the seller's desires, intents, motives, goals are. And as a broker, as a seller's broker, you're going to work with that seller and you're going to present the different offers and let them know what the different risks are. So just as an example, if someone is financing, putting down 20% and financing the rest, versus someone that's all cash, there may be a seller that looks at those two offers, and the one where they're putting 20% down is a much higher offer than the all cash. And because this seller is not in a rush to sell, if the offer fell through, it would be fine. They would just find someone else. In that case, maybe the best advice, and, and the seller would agree, would be to take the 20% down offer even though it's being financed. But sometimes there are sellers that have to sell. They're leaving, they're leaving town. They need the money to buy something else. The, the, second, the second apartment or house that they're buying, maybe they're already in contract. I mean, there's so many things that come into play. So that's really 
the way I would look at it, and I think it's the right way to look at it, is you present the offers and you present the different risks, risks along with them. So I don't think there's one answer. Well, because we always use this word, but because we're in a transitional market and it's not a buyer's market, it's not a seller's market. I think that right now they we are all trying to figure out a way that the buyer and the seller can be very happy together. Um, as opposed to if you're in a seller's market, you know, it's it's what makes the seller the happiest. So, you know, I just went through a multiple offer situation and and my buyer got the accepted offer, which is great. And he was actually lower than the uh, some of the other offers, but he just said, you know, I'm willing to be as flexible as the seller wants with the closing date. And and that, you know, that wanted for us. So so I think it really depends, like Phil said, on on what the time is, what the market is. Um, but, you know, I most of my clients are financing. I'm never going to be an all-cash kind of broker, which I'm very much okay with. Um, makes life more interesting. And um, I always say that, you know, the mortgage contingency is the biggest thing with with my clients and when well, we that's make like offers. Well, cash anyway, right. But honestly, I haven't found it recently. I, I found that actually people, especially sellers and sellers brokers, are very... Um, are a lot more comfortable with pre-approval letters because of how strict um, the government is enforcing Fannie Mae and the mortgage industry. The pre-approval letter holds so much more weight than it ever has. Uh-huh. So if a buyer can get a pre-approval letter, it's you know you're almost ninety-five percent underwritten right there and then because you need to submit all the documentation for that. So I think it's more interesting. You know, I worked for a developer once who used to say, "Listen, I don't care where the money comes from. All cash is great." But green is green. So at the closing table, when we're closing the unit and I'm getting paid for my unit, I don't really care if it's all cash. I don't really care if it's if it's uh, if it's financed. Obviously, in a in a competitive situation, we do things to make sure that our sellers are protected and that our buyers can go forward. And whether they're waiving the mortgage contingency, which makes makes it an all cash deal, or whether it is all cash, or whether it's a combination of things, I think as both of you guys said, uh, no offer is complete without the entire financial picture of the buying party. This includes income, credit, liquid assets, and so forth. As the selling party, make sure to work closely with your broker to ensure that you strategically field any offers you receive and work to appropriately negotiate the terms that work best for you. And I think Phil mentioned that before. It's, it's you know, what works best for the seller, you know, what works best for the buyer, depending on what side you're representing. And, you know, in this world in New York City, I'd say probably 50% of the buyers are cash, 50% of the buyers are finance. I, you know, run with sometimes all cash and I run sometimes with all finance. So it, it really depends, but it makes... It makes a difference. We have a few minutes left, and I wanted to just ask about for the second time in 2017, the, the Federal Reserve raised interest rates last week, moving its benchmark rate to a range between uh, 0.75% and 1%. As the New York Times reported, it's a strong signal of the economy's slow but steady improvement. How is this going to change the New York City market, or will it? It, it for buyers. I actually believe that it'll make the market better. So, so I think that a lot of people will disagree with me on no, that. No, I agree but, with you. But in in my experience, you know, again, New York buyers and sellers are very savvy and strategic. So, at the end of the day, we're 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 expecting the Fed to raise rates probably three times this year. 
But they're not raising them to such high numbers. We're still at the end of the third hike. We'll still be at all-time lows. So when you think about it that way, it's not you're not talking huge numbers that are different from at the beginning of this year to the end of this year with regards to the interest rate and how it affects your loan amount. But what it will affect is perception, and it'll create urgency for buyers, just like it has the past few months. Buyers will want to pull the trigger and lock in their rates before the Fed hikes them up. The only thing with that is one caveat to that is that the ultra strategic buyer will look at that and then say, well, hold on, if the Fed is going to increase rates for the next three times this year, that could mean that prices are going to come down even further. So that's the thing is that there are that that's one problem that I have with it or one concern is that people may be waiting to see if prices are going to be dropping further. And those buyers tend to wait and don't buy. And so We'll see what happens. It's hard to know how it's going to shake Playing out. Playing devil's but. advocate here, as Matt likes to say, <clears throat> why wait? Because well, if you know that rates are going to be going up maybe one more time, what are you waiting for? Because, for well, yeah, up? because like I said, what's going to happen is that if buyers, this, the ultra strategic buyer will look at that and say, well, if, if rates are going to continue to go up, that probably means prices are going to come down further. I might as well wait. The question is, is the buyer more concerned about their mortgage rate and what the monthly payment is or the price of the apartment. I mean, if they think prices are coming down another 10% by the end of this year or next year, they're going to probably wait. So it depends. I'm just saying it could work both ways. It's hard to say how it's going to shake out. Phil brings up a really good point. The the problem is, is that when you're strategic, we keep using that word, you can't be strategic in all areas, unfortunately. You have to, you know, you either are strategic about your purchase price or you're strategic about your interest rate. If you, you can't really bring them together because if you wait too long, they're never going to come together. But we know that there are people out there who will. And on that note, I am out of time. That's our show for this week. Thanks to Joanne Tombrockris, One Woman's Eye Consulting. Look her up. And my panel, Matt and Phil. Good morning, New York. We'll be back next week. Be kind to one another for all of us at Voice America all around the world. Thanks for joining us. And I will see you next time. Goodbye, everybody. Thanks for tuning in this week. Please join us for another edition of Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco next Tuesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Here's hoping all of your transactions are successful ones.